are kind of a flashback uh, in David's life. Um, And here's what it says. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to open up your word and just thank you for how it has truth for us for every day. Father, I pray that it would be your words that are spoken today and that your spirit would just be here with all of us, giving us understanding and helping us to know you better. And we just give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is a psalm. It was written by David, and it's about a time when he was delivered from death. Uh, We see throughout the Bible that David was delivered from death many times. Uh, 1 Samuel 17 uh, talks about how he'd killed lions and bears. Uh, That's plural lions and bears when he was a shepherd. It doesn't say anything about tigers, but I think we can still all safely say, oh my. Um, He'd fought and killed Goliath, famous story. Uh, He was so scared that no one would even face him, uh, but but God gave David the strength to to defeat Goliath. Um, And then we also see uh, throughout his time after he'd been anointed king by Samuel, that Saul was very jealous that uh, David had been anointed king, and he hunted him for a long time. And uh, David escaped his hand many times during uh, the time when Saul was coming after him. Um, another story that really came to my mind when I was reading this story uh, and thinking about how escaping death was the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, how many of you have read or watched Unbroken? Yeah, uh, it, I've read the book. I haven't seen the movie. It, it's absolutely my favorite book of all time. Uh, I highly recommend reading it, even if you've seen the movie. I've heard the movie's not quite as good. You know, that's what they usually say about the books and the movies. But for those of you who haven't heard the story, it's a story about a, a former track star. Uh, he came from a small town. He eventually went on to USC and uh, to the 1936 Berlin Olympics as a runner. But at the start of the U.S. involvement in World War II, he enlisted in the military. And then from there, he just had one of the most heart-wrenching stories that you could ever imagine. Just to name a few of the things that he went through, in one battle his plane was badly damaged and he and his crew barely made it home without crashing. In another incident he actually did crash on a rescue mission, ironically. Um, he was in a plane called the Green Hornet. It was known for being having mechanical difficulties and uh, they, they crashed in the ocean. Uh, he and two of his crewmates survived um, and they were stranded on a raft. The other eight crew in the plane died in the crash. Uh, they drifted, he drifted for 47 days, 47 days drifting in the ocean. I, I, can't, I can't even imagine that. Um, so they lived on captured rainwater. They had a little bit of food in their raft. They would catch birds, and he would use the meat from the birds as bait to try and catch fish. But that wasn't the only bait that the sea creatures were interested in. There were sharks constantly circling under the raft, often attacking the raft. Um, one, of the, one of the two crewmates that survived with Louis died at 33 days. This is the same crewmate that had eaten all their rations when they first got stranded in a panic while Louis and the other crewmates slept. Um, there was a huge storm, like a monsoon-level storm, that came through during the time and almost capsized their boat. Uh, they were strafed by Japanese planes while they were there, so a Japanese plane came by, would shoot at them, They would jump into the water so that they could avoid the bullets. 
the sharks would be nipping at their heels, so they would jump back in the raft as the plane was making its second pass. So somehow the raft didn't deflate and be totally lost. But unfortunately, that was just the beginning for Louis. Uh, he, after that, he was captured by the Japanese, and he was in prison for two years uh, without POW rights. So he was basically an uh, unlisted prisoner of the Japanese. Uh, so he was undernourished. He was overworked. He had one captor in particular. Uh, his name was Mutsuhiro Watanabe. He was especially cruel to Louis. He knew who Louis was, uh, and he took special attention to make Louis's life very painful. He would have prisoners line up. Uh, he really didn't like officers because he'd wanted to be an officer in the Japanese military, but he didn't get it. So he really didn't like officers. Louis is an officer. He had the enlisted men that were also prisoners come in a line and punch him in the face as hard as they could one after another, and they estimated that after one of these incidences that he'd been punched 220 times in the face. And if he wasn't punched hard enough, they had to go back and they had to do it again. So, uh, but worst of all, after the, after the war ended and Louis was rescued, he'd been announced killed in action a year and a half before, but it, it even got worse after that. Uh, he went home, uh, he struggled a lot with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, he had a lot of resulting nightmares from then. Um, he turned to alcohol to try and deal with the nightmares that he was having about his captors. Um, and he was, you know, it was a great story. Even then, people knew that it was a great story. And they knew that he, he was a famous track star. He'd made it. He'd been captured. So he's paraded around. He went around telling people his story. But inside, like, he just felt lonely and he felt scared. And it's in hard situations like this that we can't help but ask, like, what are you doing, God? What's the, what's the purpose in this? And that's the same question that David's asking in Psalm 30 today. Um, he's, as we go through it, my hope is that God will show us through his word that we can trust in his plan and deliverance when we walk through trials. So let's jump into verses 6 through 10 a little more. Uh, in verses 6 through 7, David says, Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. So what David's saying here is something that I think a lot of us can probably relate to. Uh, he's saying he's got the attitude that we often have, that when things are going well, we have it figured out and things are as they should be. If our plan's going the way that we want it, we don't feel like we need God as much. When I was playing baseball when I was 12, there was a moment that I thought I knew what was going on, that I had it all together. Uh, I thought my ability to throw a changeup was beyond the ability of anyone I knew to hit it. So, for those of you who know baseball, you know a changeup is, it's really just a slower pitch that you throw to get the hitter off balance. So, for example, if you've been throwing 90 over and over, then you throw the ball 70, the hitter's expecting it to come a lot faster, and it kind of throws them off. Now, don't worry, I couldn't throw 90 or 70 when I was 12, so we don't have to worry about those. Those are the numbers. But the key to the whole operation is being able to throw a hard pitch first, and then you come back in and you pepper in the changeup a little bit. So I didn't know that. I just knew that when I threw the changeup that I liked what happened. So uh, I thought that it must be the changeup. It must be just slowing down the pitch. That must be what the magic was. So I would brag to my friends, and I, and I quote, no one can hit my changeup. <laughs> so these were people who I played baseball with. So they weren't just you know, some schoolyard kids. Like they, they played baseball with me, and uh, so they were really curious when I said, like, no one can hit this. And so we went out to the park, I wound up, I threw the change up, 
nice little loft, and he hit the ball so far that we couldn't find it, and we weren't able to play after that. So, you know, think about how I explained it earlier. I basically just threw him a really slow pitch right over the middle of the plate. There were no fast pitches. It was just the slow pitch, and so it was, it was really easy for him. Um, but just like when I was 12, we often have the idea that when things are going well, that we can do it on our own. And we don't think we need God when we feel like we're in control of a situation. We don't have to ask, what are you doing, God, in times like this, because we think that our plan's going great. Uh, if you get an A on a test, God's plan must be on its correct course. That's what we planned. If you get asked out by the cute guy that you like, the world is in perfect accordance with God's plan. This is what was meant to be. If the Aggies beat a ranked team at home, I think, I think we'd actually know that something was wrong there. <laughs> but uh, you get my point, I think. So just like David's writing about, we have lots of times that we see our plan progressing like we want it, and we don't feel the need to know, love, and rely on the God who rains down those blessings to us in the first place. It's really easy for us to become stagnant and self-focused. And, and who wants to have their relationship with God characterized by those things? That's not the kind of relationship we want with God. And it's certainly not the kind of relationship we should settle for. Jesus paid way too big of a price for us to take for granted a personal relationship with our loving Father that we have the opportunity to know. In Romans 5, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Just like the trial of the cross that led us into a relationship with God in, first, in the first place, there are trials in our life that can lead us out of that stagnation and out of that arrogance and into a realization that God is what we need far more than perfect circumstances. So with that being said, let's look at the end of verse 7 through verse 9 when David's tune changes a little bit. He says, You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? So now David's reacting to a time when things weren't going his way anymore. So what he's, he's really asking God is, what are you doing? What happened to the plan that I'd marked out for myself? And how often is this our response when we go through a struggle? How many times do we want to lean on our own understanding? And how little do we trust God in times like these? In, uh, back in December of 2012, I received some news about a friend um, that really surprised me. Um, I found out that a good friend of mine from high school had been arrested uh, for murder. Um, and it, it really devastated me and, and my friends and his family, uh, of course. Um, I went, just some background, I went to a small private Christian school. Uh, I graduated with 13. Uh, he was one of the 13 that I graduated with, and I'd played basketball and soccer with him for six years. I, I knew him really well. Uh, he was a, a really good guy. Um, he made some bad decisions. Uh, he was involved with drugs, and uh, he had a lot of unsavory uh, people that he had started to spend a lot of time around. Uh, but even then, just a month earlier, I'd been talking to him, and he'd talked to me about how he was planning on getting clean and um, how... 
he was going to try and get his life back on course, get a job, and, and really right his relationship with the Lord. Uh, but shortly after his arrest, uh, he turned himself in to the police, uh, and he hasn't been out of prison since. And he's not going to get out. Uh, he was sentenced to life without parole. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, his punishment absolutely fit the crime. That's the way our justice system works. I would not dispute that at all. Uh, and I definitely feel sorry for the family of the victim um, and the hard time that they've gone through also. Um, but it's just really hard to take in when someone that you know, um, and it's hard to believe that someone that you know could do something like that. Um, and he wouldn't be able to visit me again, and uh, he wouldn't be able to come to my wedding, and that he wouldn't get to just live a normal life. There's just a lot to take in. Uh, and just like it, David asks in verse 7, it's so easy to ask God in times like these, where is the good in this, and what's the point? So my, the same friend's dad, he's, he's a pastor in my hometown, um, and he's also been a great friend and mentor to me over the years. He was devastated, of course, um, by the news and just totally caught off guard. Uh, he went to visit his son that first night um, that he was in prison, and uh, his son told him that he didn't know if he'd ever accepted Christ in his whole time that he'd been growing up in the church, um, but that when he'd gotten to prison, his, his knees hit the jail floor cell, or the jail uh, cell floor, and, and he just surrendered his life to Christ and asked for his forgiveness and his salvation. And I was just so encouraged and amazed that God used that rock bottom point, and he went down to get him, to get my friend, and to come into a personal relationship with him through that. And it's only God that can make a situation like that into something beautiful. When you compare a short life, this short life that we're in right now, it's the blink of an eye in the realm of eternity. And you compare that to life with God throughout all eternity, you can see that it's worth it in the end if we come to know God. And he's got a lot of trials ahead of him, but now he's going through those trials with the God of the universe on his side rather than alone. And the Bible talks a lot about trials that believers will face. Um, James 1, a well-known passage, says that we should consider it joy when we go through trials because the testing of our, of our faith produces endurance. And so James is telling us there's a purpose in the things that we go through. They're going to reap great rewards for our faith if we can go through it joyfully. And Hebrews 1 through 12 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author's encouraging us to be like Jesus and to run the race that has been set before us. So for you today, what is it that you can't trust God with? In what circumstance can't you trust in the goodness of God? Maybe you've also had a tragedy in your family. Maybe you have a relationship with a friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend that you're really struggling with. And maybe there's habitual sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake no matter how hard you try. And maybe your friends or family are going through difficult health problems. And maybe it's really hard to trust God in these circumstances. 
But we have to look and see what, what our hope is in times like these. What are we looking forward to in these struggles when they don't seem to end? Let's look at verse 5 back in Psalm 30. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And then now let's skip down to verse 10. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. What these verses are telling us is that there's hope for the troubles that plague us. God's going to turn the tables. He's going to bring joy. He's going to bring dancing. And he's going to bring gladness into the most hurtful of the circumstances that we're going through. In verse 5, God's anger and his discipline are merely momentary compared to a lifetime of favor that rests on us from God. That's just amazing. David says that weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. He says there may be weeping, but I know that every morning there's joy in the morning because of the Lord. And then God takes mourning, which is one of the most difficult times that we can go through, mourning someone, and he turns it into dancing, which is one of the most incredible expressions of joy that we have. Kyle shared a couple weeks ago um, in Psalm 23 about how the Lord is our good shepherd. And in verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Kyle talked about how the valley is not something that we just go into alone or that we stumble into on accident. No, the good shepherd sometimes leads us into this valley. We can know that God is leading us and that he's alongside us throughout the valley. And he has a plan for us on the other side. We don't go through the valley just to go hang out in the valley for a little while. He's got a plan for us on the other side. And it can be hard, but I firmly believe that he has a plan for us when we get to the other side of the valley. And I hope that we never get so focused on the valley itself that we forget the good that's on the other side or we neglect the good that's on the other side. As I thought through my life and how I've experienced God this way, I thought about uh, the first semester of my freshman year. Um, It was a tough year uh, in a lot of ways. Learning to live on my own. I was going through a, a tough breakup Um, I was not making a whole lot of friends, and uh, I was trying to figure out what it meant to follow God in college. Um, It was just one of the hardest times of my life, even as I prayed and prayed through it, that God would end it. But at the end of the second semester, I went on a, a summer mission through Grace to Greece, and I was talking to one of my friends who was also on the trip uh, while we were on the balcony, and we were just sharing about some of the things that God had done in our lives, and I especially reflected on the last year. Uh, And looking back on those hard times, I I was brought to tears just thinking about how much God had done for me during that time and how much he'd grown me and how much he'd provided for me. Um, I was in the freshman Bible study Doulos here at Grace. A lot of Doulos people, that's great. Um, And the, the guys that were in my group, they just meant so much to me. And I don't think a lot of them even really knew at the time how much they meant to me, but they really did mean a lot to me. Uh, My leader, he just took so much uh, time out of his schedule every week to disciple me and grow me and help me in my faith, help me through my circumstances. And how I I got to spend so much sweet time with God during that that period of my life. Uh, I didn't have anywhere else to turn, as if we could actually have somewhere else to turn. But I knew in that time I had nowhere else to turn. And I, I just loved that sweet time that I got to have with the Lord and learning from him during that time. 
It was also during this time that someone shared with me what is now my favorite passage. It's Lamentations 3. The whole book is basically uh, the prophet Jeremiah. He's crying out about his affliction, um, and especially in the wake of Jerusalem, his city being captured. And so the whole book is basically him crying out about his affliction. But in verse uh, 21 through 23 of chapter 3, this is where he says, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I could understand how Jeremiah was feeling, and I'm sure you've had times in your life when you can relate to. I'm sure you've had times when you felt afflicted on all sides. But what God tells us over and over again through his word is that he loves us, he won't forsake us, and that he will deliver us. His mercies are new every morning. And what that means is there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from him. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that any sin that we have in our life can separate us from him. His mercies are new every morning, and he's faithful with love all the time. This deliverance, though, it may not be what we expect. Um, he may not heal the sick in our families. He may not take away our anxieties and our worries. Uh, and he may not give, give us an easy, carefree life, maybe that we plan out for ourselves and that we expect for ourselves. But what he is guaranteeing is that he will be there for us with love and mercy for every day. And he promises to give us the strength to get through anything. And he promises that he's going to grow us through it. So we go through all these things, and what's the purpose when we go through them? Do we go through them just so we can come out better people on the other side when it's over? If that's all that we think trials are for, then we're not looking far enough outside of ourselves. Let's look at verse 12 now back in Psalm 30. After praising God for how he delivered him, David says what I believe is the crux of the whole passage for us this morning. It says, that my, soul, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. David's saying that the reason that God allowed him to go through the hardships and the reason that God delivered him was so that he could bring praise to God. That's what I really want us to end today thinking about. How is God using our brokenness, our hurts, and our struggles, and the deliverance that he brings into our lives to make himself known to a world that is also experiencing these same hurts and struggles? He wants to use the things that we hate most to capture the world that he loved most and the people that he loved first. So there's a lot about the story of Louis Zamperini that I left out from the beginning. I told you about all the trials he faced and all the hardships, but what I didn't tell you about was what I think is the, the best part of the whole story, and that's how God captured his heart through a Billy Graham crusade and how he became a believer in Christ and how he let go of all the hurts and the struggles that he'd held in his heart. He poured out all his liquor. He threw out magazines that he shouldn't have had, and he did it all on the side of his wife showing the outward result of the inward reality that had changed his heart. He'd had nightmares for years about his captors, and after that day, he never had another nightmare about the people who had tormented him, and he had held on to so much hatred, and he let it go in front of the cross. And that would be a beautiful story in and of itself. It's a great story of redemption, but that's not, that's not even where it ends. 
He then began to travel and to tell his story, sharing the brilliance of God's redemption through the gospel. So many people have been touched by his story through speakers, books, movies. God used such an unbelievably hard circumstance to make himself known to Louis and then to thousands more through Louis. I also left out a little bit of the story about my friend uh, who was in prison. Um, his dad began sharing his son's story at churches and prisons around, tech, around Texas and sharing the redemption that his son had found through the one and only son. And the last time that I talked to him, he told me that over 60 people had accepted Christ as a result of hearing his son's story. God is so worthy of our praise and so deserving of glory and fame. And it's so amazing that he's using our hardships to make himself known. He deserves to be known, and we should thank him for every joy and every pain so that it can help other people to know him. Habakkuk 1.5 says, and this is God speaking, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for something is taking place in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Job 5, 8, and 9 says, However, if I were you, I would appeal to God and would present my case to him. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. God is doing something astounding that you wouldn't believe in your life right now, through you. He's doing great and unsearchable things, wonders without number in your life right now. He merely asks us to be faithful and patient as we wait and see what he's doing. It's so we can make much of him because he's the one who deserves it. If you're wondering what change took place in the heart of Louis and my friend, it's very simple. Uh, they believed in Jesus Christ as their savior from sin and entrusted their lives to him. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they were washed clean of their sins in the eyes of, of God. If that's not something that you're familiar with, that that doesn't ring true in your mind, then I, I ask you, please come talk with me. Come talk to one of our, our fellows in the back because that's something that's too important for you to leave here today without knowing. And as we go into a time of worship, I, I really want you all to talk with God about the joys and the pains, past and present, thanking him for who he is and what he's done in your life. And going through the rest of this week, I think it'd be great if you find a friend, uh, someone you trust a lot, and you ask them to help you respond with obedience and joy to a specific struggle that you're going through right now. And talk about it with them and help them, or and maybe they can help you see what great unsearchable things that God is doing so that you can make the most of him in your life. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You really do great and unsearchable things, things that we can't understand. But we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to know you and to be known by you. We thank you so much for the deliverance that you've brought in our lives through Christ. And we thank you that even the worst parts of ourselves, the, the sins and the things that we don't want to admit, that you're using those things to reach a world that needs to know you. Lord, I ask as we go out from here that we would never look upon our trials with disdain, but we would look as, at them as an opportunity to know you better and to show you better to the world around us and that you will make us into faithful servants.